Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer's Sermon Podcast. The readings appointed for this sermon are from 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 through 12, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 3 through 6, the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 9, verse 2 through 9, and Psalm 50, verse 1 through 6. God grant us serenity to accept the things that we cannot change courage to change the things that we can, and the wisdom to know the difference in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, we have heard this story many times before, have we not? The, the story of the transfiguration, you, it's likely you're familiar with it. It often gets read twice a year in the church, so it's one of those stories we hear quite a bit. Jesus takes three of his closest disciples up the mountain, and there he is changed before them, transfigured, they say, so that he looks different. He's in dazzling white, and they're seeing him like they had not seen him before. And then, of course, Moses and Elijah show up, and, they start, and Jesus starts speaking with them. This is a, an, an amazing and, and confusing and shocking moment for those disciples. They've seen miracles, they've seen many things, but this is beyond what they could have imagined. And then, of course, in that moment, in their confusion and in their uh, wondering, they even hear uh, the, the voice of God. The cloud overshadows them and the voice of the Father says, This is my Son, my Beloved, with Him I am well pleased. Listen to Him. And then in that moment they open their eyes and Moses and Elijah are gone and the cloud is gone and there stands Jesus. Of course, we've heard the story, as I said, and there's many pieces I'm sure that you remember in your heart. We know that Moses and Elijah are, of course, the real people, Moses and Elijah, but they also represent something to Israel, right? Moses is the representative of the law, the commandments, the covenant between God and God's people, the deliverance of the people through that exodus from Egypt. Moses is the representation of that covenant of the law that guides the people. And Elijah is the representation of the prophets. Elijah is that one of those many lonely voices in the wilderness that cries out to a people who aren't always paying attention reminding them of God's presence and reminding them of their responsibility to follow God and to live into the covenant, the law for which that formed them and shaped them. So Jesus shows, shows up in, on this mountain and Moses and Elijah show up and they're all there and then all of a sudden, and we know what's happening, right, as Christians, we understand that the story is telling us that Jesus, Jesus embodies both the law and the prophets. When the cloud dissipates, Jesus stands alone, and we realize that the the writer of the gospel stories is pointing us towards Jesus as the one who embodies the law and the prophets, the foundational realities of who, who the people of Israel are. But today as I heard the story, something hit me a little differently. I was thinking about the fact that, of course, Moses and Elijah represent all this, but to Jesus... Moses and Elijah are very real and personal influences. The voices in the lives of Moses and Elijah have shaped Jesus and Jesus' people. They've shaped the identity of Jesus and his Jewish siblings. When Jesus sees Moses and Elijah, he doesn't just see these people he's heard about. He sees the people who have formed and shaped who he is. And he is reminded in his quest, in his work that he undertakes, that he is not alone, 
but as in standing on the shoulders of giants. Standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before and have shaped his life. And I wonder if I were to go up that hill, who would I see standing before me? If you were to go up that hill and you were to be faced with those who shaped you and influenced you most, who would be on that hill waiting for you? Would it be a parent that has died and you miss but has shaped you so greatly and given you life? Maybe your mother would be up on that hill or, or an aunt that, that helped you or a grandfather that mentored you? Would it be someone who has shaped the way you see the world like Moses and Elijah did? Would it be James Baldwin up on that hill or Ayn Rand or something like that? Moses and Elijah both had a sort of national reality. Would it be Thomas Jefferson or George Washington on that hill or the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King? Would you find Ronald Reagan on that hill or, or FDR? Who would be on that hill for you as you go up? Who are the people that shape you? Who are the people that have made you see the world a specific way? Because that is what happens with Jesus it's not just this symbolic reality that he embodies the law and the prophets. It is that he faces those who have shaped him and influenced him. And this is a moment of great importance. Because we realize when we hear this story that we are never actually alone in our lives. Jesus is a singular figure. We know this. But Jesus is shaped and accompanied by those who have gone before. And as the story says, he is watched over even by God, who loves him, sees him as beloved. So it is, I think, for you and I. We are not alone. And we feel alone now and again. We are capable of feeling like this is our life to live and we've got to figure it all out, all on our own. And yet every single one of us is standing on the shoulders of those who have influenced us, have given us life, have shaped us. And like this story where they show up in real time, not as ghosts or memories or nostalgia, we are here to remember that we are continuing to be in relationship with those who have shaped us. It is not that we weren't alone before, it's that we are still not alone now. Still being shaped, still being influenced, still learning who we are in relation to the foundation that was built for us. And we are also not only shaped by that, those who have influenced us, but we, like Christ, are enveloped in the cloud of God, enveloped and held by the God, our Father, our Mother, who says, you are my beloved. You are my beloved. With you I am well pleased. And we are reminded, we are reminded of Christ's transfiguration, of that moment where he doesn't just look like the person we're used to seeing, but he looks like who he really and truly is, the glory of God right in front of us. And we remember our own glory as children of God, beloved ourselves and shaped by those who have gone before. 
But the story still has a starkness to it, does it not? Because Elijah and Moses might be there and this great cloud of God might show up and the voice of God may boom once in a while and remind us of the truth, but all of a sudden the disciples blink their eyes and it has dissipated and Jesus is back to looking just like good old Jesus of Nazareth. And Moses and Elijah are gone and it says, Jesus, there was no one there but just Jesus. And I get it. I get it on a symbolic level. We're supposed to say, yes, he embodies all of these things. He embodies the divine. He embodies the law and the prophets, the covenant and the power of God. Yes, and that's all true. And also, he stands alone. And we are reminded that though we are not alone, we oftentimes do have to stand here in this life and make decisions for ourselves. We are accountable for the life we've been given. Jesus may be influenced by Moses, may be influenced by Elijah, may be watched over by the Father, but in the end, Jesus has to make decisions for his life. And by the way, some of the decisions Jesus makes, Moses might not have liked. Some of the things that Jesus teaches, Elijah might go, I don't know about that. We know this, that there are those people who watch over us, who influence and shape us, and also we have to make decisions for ourselves. Even honoring those who have gone before, we might make decisions that wouldn't have pleased them. I think today, even I think about our annual meeting, and every time we have an annual meeting, it's an opportunity for us to pause and think about who we were, who we are, and who we are becoming. And in so many ways, we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before, and we honor them, and we love them, and are shaped and influenced by them. And also, it is a new day, and we seek to be faithful today, and that may look different than it used to. And as it is in your individual lives, we honor those who make us who we are. And also, this is our life to live. We have to sort that out. It can be overwhelming. It can be profoundly overwhelming, I believe, even knowing that we are not alone. Sometimes not being alone is scary for me because I do think about all those people that are gone, have gone before and I think, I hope I'm just not screwing it up for them. Right? That they're not just watching and going, Oh boy, that's, no, mm -mm, that was bad. We are Christians. We are not left without a compass. We are not left without a guiding light. And we do not simply need to look to the past to figure out how to navigate the future. At the end of the story, Jesus stands before the disciples. And they see that there are many things that have built them and shaped them, and they are guided by a God who loves them, and also standing right before them is Jesus Christ, whom they follow. We follow Jesus to make ourselves who we are meant to be in this world for our own transfiguration. We follow Jesus. It is good for us to look back at who made us. It is good for us truly deeply holy for us to remember the ongoing influence of those who have shaped us and the ongoing presence of God. But it is essential for us as Christians to understand that Jesus is not someone from the past over whom we have nostalgic feelings. Jesus is not simply an older influence that we remember so we can hope to please him. Jesus lives and is today and we seek to follow Jesus today. We don't ask 
what would Jesus do? Because it, it suggests that Jesus isn't here right now. We seek to see Jesus in our lives. We say, what is Jesus doing? And then we follow Jesus into this world. And if you think that's all too abstract and sort of religious sounding for you, and you're like, that sounds nice, Phil, but what do I do with it? Look for the love in your life. Look for the places where others have said yes to you, have honored you and cared for you, and the places where you are drawn into honoring and caring for others here and now. Look for the places where you have made sacrifices and where others make sacrifices for you. Look for the places of love because that is where you will find Jesus. And pray, friends. I know that sometimes we forget the power of it. But start your morning speaking to God. Help me see Jesus today. Help me see Jesus so that the people in front of me are transfigured from their normal everyday selves into the glorious truth of who they actually are, beloved daughters and sons of God. Help me, God, see Jesus and the people right in front of me. Help me, God, follow Jesus into this world, walk the way of love, and care and reconcile this world in participation with God. This is the work of the Christian. And when we seek love, and when we remember who we were, and when we remember who we are, beloved children, we ourselves are transfigured. Our glory as beloved is made clear as is our path. We follow Jesus. We walk in love. Always. And in Jesus' name.